Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is E.J. Winstrom, author of the new young adult dystopian novel, Departures. E.J., welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Sure. Well, if someone hasn't yet heard about your novel, Departures, how would you describe the novel? Sure. So like you said, it's a young adult dystopian, and it opens with a teen girl who uh, is on the cusp of her departure date. Uh, She's got this big party celebrating her life. She is 17 years old and she is scheduled to die overnight. Uh, And this is all part of a perfectly optimized, perfectly managed society where everything is scheduled and orderly and handled for them all of the time. And part of that is that they avoid pain as much as possible. And so they have kind of used some, uh, (laughs) I would say, technology that helps them kind of predict when someone's life is going to start to lose its quality. You know, when something like cancer or heart problems or something like that might come for you and just kind of skip that part for you. Um, and so that's one of many, many different ways that they monitor everybody's lives and frankly control them. But the thing is that her departure day comes and she wakes up. She is not dead. And so because she's so conditioned, this actually puts her into a bit of a panic spiral. But uh, she kind of gets funneled through the backside of this government system sees it from an entirely different perspective and eventually is helped to escape by some rebels who take her out to a world outside of this government that she did not even know existed. Uh, and so that's the uh, the impetus for everything that happens throughout the story. It's a dual narrative between her on the outside of this government and her sister who is still inside but has a feeling that something went wrong along the way. And you follow them both as they peel back the layers of what's really going on behind the scenes with this government, what they're controlling for, what they are optimizing for, uh, and some secrets that they are keeping from their citizens. And yeah, that's the story. That's great. Well, do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write Departures? Sure. And it really was, you know, sometimes an idea for a book is a character or a voice that I'll hear. That's how I got started on my first fantasy series was just the voice of this particular character. 
this time it really was just that hook. I had the idea of this teen girl who woke up abruptly in a panic because she wasn't supposed to ever wake up again. And then I had to peel back the layers from that initial kind of moment to put together what that world would look like, why would the scenario be happening, and what happens next all from there. And what was your writing journey that led you to writing and publishing your first novel? Yeah, I started what I feel is pretty late, although certainly people come to writing even later and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, But I know a lot of writers talk about how they were children and they were always telling stories and they always knew that they were going to be a writer. And that just was not what happened for me. I never really considered myself a creator at all. I thought maybe I would work in editing. You know, maybe I'd help other people with their stories. I always loved books. I you know, my parents read to us as as far back as I can remember. And I always had a book with me just about anywhere. But I didn't think I had those stories in me. Um, so somewhere in my mid-20s, I was working at a marketing agency. And that tends to be a pretty open and collaborative environment. So I was in a shared office with a few others. And we spent some time on a pretty daily basis, you know, kicking around ideas, sharing what we were seeing in the news or just interesting tidbits that came in and just kind of talking amongst ourselves. And something had just happened with NASA. I don't remember what. I really wish I did. But we were talking about it and I, you know, fired off some sort of random thought and response about aliens or I don't know, expanding universe, all that kind of stuff just is really fun and cool. So it's always kicking around. and. Whatever on earth I said, I one of my coworkers said back to me, that's really interesting. That sounds like a novel. You should write it. And that was really the first that I thought of it. But <laughs> it sounded pretty good. <laughs> uh, and by that point, I'd had a bit of a writing journey, you know, in, in my career life. So I, I had a lot more confidence than I had at one point in my ability to write in general from writing features for magazines and a lot of marketing copy. Um, And that's something that when I started my career path, I never thought I would do either. And so by then I felt a little bit more comfortable trying something new with my writing and thought I would give it a shot. So I tinkered around with that first idea a little bit. It proved to not really be a a story arc in full. Um, but from there, I started flipping around some monsters like Lapidias. Um, I played a little D&D in college, and so I had a, some sense of familiarity of just how uh, expansive that whole world of imagination and everything could be. And of course, from my own reading, I've always written, read a lot of speculative fiction and just started looking for something that would be a little bit out of the box as a starting point. I didn't want to do vampires or zombies, even though I really love them, just because it's such a crowded place to try to enter. Uh, It's a little bit harder to come up with something that really has that original feel to it. Um, So I wanted to kind of clear all of that out, start somewhere new. And in my browsing, something that started to really catch in my head was this idea of golems. And this idea that they were inanimate and brought to life by someone with great magical power. But then they were, you know, pretty invincible themselves, but also completely bound by whatever commands were put on them. 
And so, like I mentioned, for that one, it really started with this sense of a character's voice. And I started kind of getting an idea for this golem's voice in my head that wouldn't leave me alone. And just this sense that he was very lonely. He was feeling pretty desperate and isolated. And so I started to dig into that and try to figure what would cause that sort of feeling. And that led into this whole uh, Chronicles of the Third Realm War series, which I wrote before Departures, that starts with um, Golem as its hero and narrator, or anti-hero, I really should say. And uh, he's been abandoned by his maker, so he's all on his own, but completely bound by these uh, magical orders to protect this tiny little box. He doesn't know what's in it. But over time, the magic within him has compounded you know, hundreds and hundreds of years to the point where he's developed much more of a uh, consciousness, a personhood to himself. And so he has this sense of desire, of agency, but he's still completely powerless to set his own path. And it threw in a lot of magical inspiration, a lot of mythical inspiration from, you know, just whatever was slushing in my head from what I've consumed over the years. Um, definitely a testimony to the fact that the best thing you can do for yourself as a writer is to read a lot and turned into a whole uh, kind of mythical quest sort of thing. Uh, he breaks into the underworld. He steals back his soul. He gets into lots of trouble along the way. And it was great fun. And so uh, that kind of did it for me. And I don't think I could not write if I tried after <laughs> that. <laughs> That's great. Uh, well, it's my understanding that you have ADHD. Do you have specific writing tricks for yourself as you're dealing with ADHD? Yeah, I do. And uh, let me think. I think the biggest trick is honestly just trying to eliminate distractions. So when I write, I will often turn off my internet or set my phone aside where I can't reach it, or I will use the Freedom app to shut down my access so that there's nothing else for me to do. Um, but I also think that, you know, in some ways, I think the way my brain works with the ADHD actually is very advantageous for telling an interesting and fresh story. Uh, you know, one of the kind of trademarks of how this all works is that my brain will not stay in one place uh, no matter what I try to do. And so I'm often thinking about something other than what I'm actually doing. I am often thinking about multiple things at once. So even when I'm writing, there's lots of other uh, gears churning. Or even if I'm not writing, if I am out for a run, if I'm at work, if I'm commuting, if I'm cooking, <laughs> the, the story is always churning in there somewhere too, as long as I touch it every day, which is really, I know a lot of people that doesn't necessarily work for them. For me, if I can just write a little bit every day, it keeps that story bouncing around my head in a way that can add up to a lot more than just that time. So, um, you know, it kind of sloshes everything together. And sometimes that leads to some different types of connections that can make a story really fun, at least for me. And so, um, to some degree, I just, when it comes to my fiction, kind of let my brain wander a little bit and lean into the fact that that's how my brain works and uh, see what it comes up with. 
That's great. Well, what appeals to you about dystopic fiction? Sure. I do really love dystopian. And it's been an interesting time for dystopian in recent years because, you know, not to get into the politics of it, but during the Trump administration, there were many people who felt like they were already living a dystopia. And there is lots of commentary out there about that topic. And so what happened was that between that, between everything that's been going on with COVID the last few years, there was a great deal more of escapism going on instead of societal examination. But that is one of the things that I think makes dystopian extremely fun and engaging and fun to uh, kind of break down into its pieces and build back up again, is that it really is an examination of different things that are going on in our current world. And then what might happen if we went down one path or another path or what types of ways it might be shaping us and then kind of dialed up to a 10. So it, it's a great deal of fun for me in that respect. Uh, it's a bit of a, a mental exercise. And I think in some ways, dystopian allows us to do this even subconsciously, really. Um, when I started writing Departures, I was really very much focused on uh, this idea of this character who was scheduled to die and what happens when that falls apart. But it became something much bigger because in order for this to be a society where someone would be scheduled to die, you then have to think about why that would be the case. And it became this very heavily controlled world where everything is monitored in this way. You know, people are tracking what they, well, people, people are tracking, but also the government is tracking what you eat, how you work out. Uh, what your stress levels are at work, you know, how much should you be exerting yourself? When do you sleep? How well are you sleeping? Every little bit of your life is tracked and it comes down to something that's already heavily in play in our world, which is that we have a massive amount of information available to us about all of these different facets of our life. So what happens when we start to really um, examine and rely on that data to tell us what to do and what would happen if that happened on a bigger level for an individual uh, level. So that's not a good way to put that. But what, what would happen if a bigger organization were to start to pay attention to that sort of data on an individual level is maybe a better way to say it and start to kind of put all of those pieces together for a functioning whole. And what type of power does that give them over what types of choices we're making in our lives? So it gets into some pretty heady stuff, and it almost becomes a philosophical exercise in a way, but I think it's a lot of fun, and I think it adds a lot of value when you're able to dive into those things. And it's something that's really is very unique to dystopian. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, Information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. So you're you're also the the co-host of a podcast, Fantasy Plus Girls. Can you tell us about your podcast? Sure. So Fantasy Girls is uh I run it with my good author friend, Emma C. Wells, who writes thrillers. She's done a little bit of fantasy in the past. She's just so much fun. Uh, so we have a great time on the podcast. We put a focus on a speculative fiction across all of its subgenres through a bit of a feminist lens, but also mostly, the, you know, the lens of a mega fan. Uh, this is stuff that we both really, really love. And so we have a lot of fun digging into different topics. Um, from that, we actually just this morning released our most recent episode for Halloween, uh, talking about zombies. And uh, yeah, we're actually in the process of building out our little podcast verse, if you will. Uh, so we are going to continue Fantasy Girls with a deep dive focus on our own takes on fantasy and science fiction topics, but we are also building out to launch a new one soon called Troped Out, where we'll be focusing across all of genre fiction and inviting other authors to come on and talk with us and get their takes on different tropes within their own genre, and maybe some genres that they love outside of what they do. And uh, this is going to be a little bit further down the pipeline, but we've also been talking because she also has ADHD. So this is a common thread between us. It's something we're both pretty passionate about. Uh, so an additional one that will be coming out maybe more in the uh, six-month timeline is ADHD creatives, where we'll be talking to authors, but also other types of creatives across the whole gamut who have ADHD themselves and kind of talk about how their brains work, how it introduces uh strengths to what they do challenges they've overcome and uh kind of examine on a deeper level 
the the gifts and limitations that come with that. That's great. Well, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories and novels? I would say give yourself the time that you need to do it right and just don't give up on it. Um, I think one of the best pieces of advice that I have gotten as an author is that you need to practice finishing. So it can be very hard to kind of get mid-project and get frustrated or feel like you've got yourself into a corner where you don't know how to move the plot forward or you start to get that impulse to chase a new idea just because stories take so long when you're writing something novel size to get it all the way to the finish line. Um, And I think I got this from Chuck Wendig has a very good essay about this on his blog, Terrible Minds. But the, the idea is simply that you have to train yourself to get something all the way to the finish line. Um, so, you know, maybe capture those other ideas or whatever you need to do so that you feel comfortable that you can revisit them later when you get to it. Um, but definitely make sure that you see things through. And somewhere along the line there, you start to learn a lot about your own creative process. You learn a lot about what does and doesn't make a uh, a story that, you know, kind of follows the full arc all the way through what was required for it. You learn how to work your way back out of those plot holes. And that's all incredibly important stuff if you're going to be an author. I think for me, one of the most important things that I learned by just going through the process multiple times start to finish was that somewhere about two thirds through every single manuscript I write, I am going to feel like this is the project I am going to be writing until I die. Like (laughs) manuscripts that will never end. I will be revising over and over and over again forever. And of course, that's never actually the case. They all get finished eventually. But simply knowing that you felt like this last time, you felt like this the time before, you know, you start to lose the uh, the panic that comes with that. <laughs> gotcha. But you got to finish to know how it's going to be for you. Sure. Well, what novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Oh, boy. There's always so many. Um, one that I just read and finished this week is What Should Be Wild by Julia Fine. And that was a very lovely young adult fantasy book. It's got a little bit of a dark edge to it. It's about a girl who uh, can give or take life by touching something with her skin. And so she has to be very careful throughout her life. Um, She's kind of made a bit of a study by her father. Uh, And then there's kind of this magical wood that within it houses the ghosts of many women throughout the history of her family line. And so it's got this very dreamy, dark, you know, almost horror, but not really type of tone to it that is just really imaginative and fun to get into. I really love a a dark story. Uh, And then right now, I am right in the middle of reading... Nothing But Blackened Teeth by Cassandra Kaw, which has been a really fun thing to get into right now, right before Halloween. It's got this big haunted mansion. There's all sorts of <laughs> frightening dynamics happening between the characters as well. 
Uh, it's a bunch of friends on the surface, but there's so many different complicated things going on under the surface there that she's got a great set of characters. Uh, so I've really been enjoying that as well. That's great. Well, where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your novels or your podcast? Yeah, you can find me at ejwinstrom.com or at ejwinstrom on Instagram, on Twitter, Facebook, and I just started TikTok too. So I've been experimenting with that a little bit. And if you wanted to learn more about our podcasts and everything that we've got coming ahead, the best place to look for that would be typoproductions.com. That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with E.J. Winstrom, author of the new young adult dystopian novel, Departures. She's also the co-host of the podcast Fantasy Girls, and her novel, Departures, is available now. So go buy a copy. And E.J., thanks for doing this interview. Thanks so much for having me. This has been a blast. Great. Thanks a lot. Now, stay tuned as E.J. Winstrom reads from her novel, Departures. Departures by E.J. Winstrom. Narrated by the author. Chapter 1. Evie. This is how I hope they remember me. Bathed in rainbow bright lights, dotted in glitter, the tool of my favorite dress swishing around me as I bound through the pounding music on the dance floor. My cheeks flushed, heart flooding, alive. That's the point, after all. Tonight is my departure party. We've finally gotten past the terrible emotional departure rituals, the look back at my life's highlights, my speech of goodbyes. My final hours are passing too fast, but I'm relieved that these rituals are behind me. I had to fill them out with fudged memories to draw out softened, saccharine sentiments. The edges sanded down. I had to stretch out my short life to fit the typical time frames. Most departure parties, have to encompass a rich, long life of a hundred years plus. Tonight, all I've got to cover is 17. It's not enough. But what do you do? I know what you don't do. You don't sulk on your last night on this planet. Not when it won't do you any good and only devastate the few people you really care about. No chance. You take your remaining fun where you can get it. Or... At least, you try not to ruin it for everyone else. So, I dance. I let the thudding bass roll over me and drown out my thoughts. The light of the Quad's event center are dimmed, transforming the great room in its arched white beams into splashes of moving color. Rainbow bright lights drift from floor to ceiling to windows, blocking out the Quad beyond. Pink fading to purple, fading to blue, fading to green. The music turns up, never more than the maximum recommended volume, of course, careful to stay within directorate recommendations for optimal health. My guests, neighbors, former teachers, my peers from across the, our quad, stand from their tables on cue, and the dance floor begins to fill. Glitter drops over us like the night mist that keeps the plant life within the quad dome green. Everyone smiles and bobs along to the beat. I mirror them, determined to keep my own smile in place, no matter what. My little sister Graceland, the one person I actually want here right now, weaves through the shuffling crowd until she finds me. She smiles too, though her eyes glisten with a hint of tears at their edges. No, don't cry. 
That's what kills me the most about all of this. I can't stand to see her hurting. I take her hand and squeeze it, pulling my smile even bigger, and twirl her around. When she turns back to me, the light is back in her eyes, even if a hint of tears still glisten in the corners. We jump and twist to the beats, through the glitter raining from the ceiling, both of us determined to make the most of every minute I have left. Too soon, curfew nears. The music turns down. The people settle down in response, and the quad's mayor takes the mic. Thank you, Evelie Henders, for the gift of your presence in this quad, she says, following the script of the ritual. As I take my place next to her on the stage, I look out at the event hall. Expressions have turned somber. We have one last gift for you. May your passage be as peaceful and painless as your life. She hands me a small white box. I open it and look at the translucent pill every citizen takes to trigger their departure, the serum sloshing inside it. A quake of fear washes over me, and I hope no one can tell. The whole point of departure is to avoid all that, the pain and struggle of whatever death would have waited for me around the next corner. Departure isn't the thing to be afraid of, I remind myself. Not departing is. All the same, my heartbeat speeds up until everything starts to turn blurry. I blink hard, trying to push the panic down. Young as I am, this night will be talked about for years. The last thing I need is for something bad to be said about the way I went. I want to be remembered as strong. Brave. I force my fear deep into my gut, nod in acknowledgement of the gift, and push it down into my mouth before I can think anymore. Even as its sweetness dissolves on my tongue and the serum releases, a calming buzz quells my anxiety. The first taste of its promise to slowly pull me into a deep, everlasting sleep over the course of the night. Hands raise in applause and everyone cheers, a final affirmation of my life. Then the normal overhead lights switch on and the magic of the color-bright dance floor dies. Like a spell has been lifted, my guests turn away, gathering their things and chit-chatting politely as they file towards the exit. After all, everyone else, whose lives will go on tomorrow, must get their full night of sleep to maintain optimal health and happiness. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.